Welcome in. It's another edition of the world-famous, or at least I hope locally famous, Doyle and Derek podcast, IndyStar.com. I'm your host, Derek Schultz. Afternoons on Fox Sports 1260, 3-7 with Query and Schultz. But the big star of the show, as always, is the always dapper Greg Doyle. What's up, man? I'm wearing my green, a green Look hoodie. Yeah. Because we are simulcast. For all you people watching on simulcast, thank you for watching, and I dressed up just for you. Are we really on Samuel? Absolutely not. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, is there a camera in here? I knew I that would confuse about? somebody. I didn't know it would be you. <laughs> I was like, whoa. <laughs> They've really upgraded over here. Uh, let's get to something right off the bat here. Short week, so we've got a lot to get to. I, we're not going to spend a lot of time on the Jaguars game because it was a dominant performance by the Colts and I think the pound for pound, the most well-rounded performance that we've seen of the season. But I actually wanted to get to something because I, I didn't realize that this was the case. If you've listened to this podcast before, obviously one of the, the main topics has been Jacoby Brissett and kind of game-by-game evaluating him. And I remember a couple of weeks ago, you said, not that you were necessarily giving up on Jacoby, but you felt like you had a good handle on who he is, but something has changed for you here recently, and now you're Team Jacoby, if I want to... It almost sounds like we're all rooting for Jacoby Brissett to succeed. I don't, I don't want to make it sound like being critical of him is anti-Jacoby, but there are people that are strongly pro-Jacoby franchise quarterback, and then there are some people kind of like me that are like, eh, I'm not so sure yet. I, I'm not strongly pro franchise quarterback. What I am is he has shown that they can he's good enough if they get the talent around him. I, I'm I'm sold there. If we're talking about franchise quarterbacks, is he a top ten guy? No. You know what I do is I, I'm emotional, okay? I I'm comp- <laughs> I blurt stuff and whatnot. No. Yeah. <laughs> and it happens on Twitter's the worst of me. And I saw I see a lot of people, a lot of people who all have one thing in common. We're not gonna go there, but I see a lot of people upset that we're applauding Jacoby Brissett. They're upset about it. They don't want to see it. They don't want to read about it, especially after a game where he doesn't throw for 300 yards. They don't want to find out that he's he's the guy that the star or anybody else the locker room loves. How dare you? And so they're trying to bring him down. And that's not right. You know, whether he's a franchise guy or not, whether he's even good enough to be Trent Dilfer for a team that can win a Super Bowl with great players around him, whether he's even that, what he's not is someone who needs to be judged as not good enough. He's not there. And I don't People are judging him not good enough or saying, how dare you even talk about that right now? I don't like you, whoever you are. I'm sorry, I don't. And uh, at least I don't like you in that moment. And in that moment, I'm tweeting out the exact opposite because I'm mad at you. And I mean it in that moment. And in this moment, I still do think he's good enough. They can win with him. I'm not backing that from that at all. So if if I've ever given you the impression that they've got a guy, they've got a franchise quarterback. Franchise quarterbacks come in different sizes depending on how good the franchise around him is. If the franchise around him is very good, then yes, they have a franchise quarterback. I try to approach everything with an open mind. So I know the people that you're talking about who are completely closed off and have been completely closed off since day one that Jacoby Brissett's ever going to be anything. And I don't think that that's the right mentality to have. I think you have to let this play out. Um, At the same time, I just don't think, Greg, it's not that I was mad that Jim – I totally understand why Jim wrote an article – about Brissett's return. Brissett's return was a big story. It brought stability back to the team, it felt like, to have him there instead of Hoyer, who plays, I thought, pretty well against Pittsburgh and then is a total and complete catastrophe against Miami. You have the steadying force of Brissett. He's well-liked in the locker room. He's a leader of the team. I thought all of that stuff was important. I just don't think that his performance on Sunday really was standout worthy or or worth worthy of praise did they win the game because of him 
I mean, they didn't lose it, and a lot of the reason why, I guess, was because Brissett was just fine, but I thought he was just fine. I thought Jonathan Williams was great. I thought Marlon Mack was great. I thought your boy Kenny Moore was unbelievable. Justin Houston, how about the turnaround he's had this season? Yeah. You know, all of those things, I, I thought those stars shine brighter than Brissett, you know, relatively just kind of a fine, okay day. I mean, he had the nice play to Marcus Johnson, whatever. <laughs> it was okay. I mean, you know, it was nothing to write home about. Uh, you know, when a team wins games, quarterbacks make a couple of winning plays, and he made a couple of winning plays, but overall it was the run game, and I thought the defense just completely suffocating Jacksonville that was the story, not Jacoby. Yeah, two things about this. One is up in the press box afterwards, there's a bunch of star people there, a bunch of writers, one of our editors is there, and we're all talking about story ideas. We don't mm-hmm. want to, you know, step on everybody's toes. Sure. Hey, you got this, you got this, you got that. And someone said, and it might have been an editor, said, well, we need to write about Jacoby or who's writing about Jacoby because he's back you know yeah. he's back um and my first thought was well, I'm not writing that I mean I, I can't write a thousand words or in my case 1500 words on a guy that threw for 147 yards whatever I can't do that so I and I had no idea what Jim was going to write Jim Aiello and, and I didn't know the locker room was going to just completely salute Jacoby like they did oh that's really not surprising they love him they love him so a I wasn't moved to write about it um b the there's the pass, There's the run pass option that he needs to get some credit for that. In that every play comes to him with you can do one or the other. It's your job to see the defense and the quarterback. I'm mean, almost the biggest thing they do besides throwing the ball is looking at the defense and figuring out what play is going to work against this defense and more importantly what play is absolutely not going to work against this defense. Mm-hmm. Jacoby's got that down. He he whether they execute or not it's a different matter. But he knows what's going to work and what's not going to work and that's so important. And and finally the the way the locker room just loves him and Frank Reich talks about Jacoby in ways like he's got leadership that's off the charts and he talks about things that we can't see and we don't know and and I know Frank has the uh the rose colored glasses and all that but it sounds like there's some intangibles with Jacoby in addition to the numbers that we see that make him even better than what the numbers say he is and I'm I'm willing to believe that based on you know how he's played you know weirdly the the thing that impressed me the most about his performance was actually two incompletions where he just uncorked a couple of deep balls because I think we want to see a little bit more from that about him, you know, a little bit more of a vertical passing attack. And he threw two long balls. I think both were to Pascal, if I'm not mistaken. And both ended up falling incomplete, but I actually thought they were nice passes. Like, I thought, hey, that's that's actually a good ball. If that's T.Y. Hilton out there, it's probably, you know, no offense to Zach Pascal, but it's it probably ends up being complete. It's weird to say that, that two incompletions were the most impressive thing, but... I think it's there. I think Jacoby can throw. I just want him to let loose a little bit. You know, we talk about him not throwing interceptions, and and it's great not to throw interceptions, but what that also tells me is that he's not willing to take risks. And part of what made Andrew Luck and Brett Favre, guys like that, great players, was that they took risks. Did they make boneheaded mistakes a lot? Yeah, they did. But the good, I think, far outweighed the bad for both of those guys. And I'd like to see Brissett push it a little bit more. I'd like to see him throw to a full complement of receivers. You know, and not just T.Y. Hilton and whoever is, is in there. And Zach Pascal has become this very important player. But Zach Pascal was a guy, let's not forget, that in training camp preseason, I was lobbying for him on the show. Um, and I'm not the reason he's here. I'm not saying that. But the point is that he was so on the bubble that I remember lobbying for him because he's yeah. great at special teams. He's your number two receiver right now, far and away. And I'm not saying he doesn't deserve that. I'm just saying there's nobody else. Funches is out. Hilton's been out. Actually, he's their number one receiver with with yeah, Hilton with out. the two guys out. Yeah, and, Hilton and, and Funches and Kane's a disaster and gone. I mean, who's who's two? Chester Rogers has been beaten out by Marcus Johnson, who wasn't even on the active roster until this week. So you got you got people saying, "I don't want to hear about Jacoby this week," and and not you. I'm talking on Twitter. There's absolutely dismissing him. 
when he's throwing to Zach Pascal and Marcus Johnson? What do you people, you people, what do you want from him mm-hmm. throwing to those guys? What do you want? No, you're right. And when he, he does get all of the bullets back into the gun, it'll be interesting to see because we only saw Devin Funches for a half, but I thought it was a good half <laughs> for whatever it's worth in, in not San Diego, I, L.A. against the Chargers. And Hilton's Hilton. And by the way, I'd be stunned if T.Y. Hilton's not out there on Thursday. I just think that he's going to will himself to be out there, don't you? Um, it's in Houston. And it's in Houston. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of surprised he's not back yet. Uh, the thing, an ankle you can play through, you know, you, with, with shots and, and pain management. He's great at that. You can. It's not easy, but you can. Yeah. It's possible. All I'm saying, if you've got a calf thing, you literally can't run as fast as you should run. So I, I mean, I hope he's back. I want to see him play, and I know he wants to be back yet. But this is not. This is not his famous pain tolerance. Can you handle it? This is more than that. And it's kind of dragging on. Hell, even if he's just out there at 70% as a decoy, he's yeah. still somebody you got to pay attention to. You know, yeah. you don't really have to pay attention to Chester Rogers. It's, you know, no offense. It's Chester freaking Rogers. Well, and that's who, I mean, that's, that's good. I mean, Ash and Doolin, they had a couple receivers active, but weren't using them. Chester, yeah. they were barely using. Doolin never plays offense. I mean, they were throwing to nobody. Mm-hmm. Throwing to nobody. They had Naheem Hines lining out wide more than normal because he's a receiver now because there's nobody else. So people d- down on Jacoby, imagine him with a full complement of receivers. This running back. That they have maybe they have two, but for sure Mac and that offensive line, all those tight ends, he's more than good enough for this team to go as far as it needs to go, thanks to what's around him. And yeah, can I mean would would I love to see them get a guy that can throw for five thousand yards, get another Patrick Mahomes? Of course, but it's just not going to happen. As much as the Colts are winning, they're not going to draft that guy. Not not picking twenty second. No, you're right about that. Um, they'd have to use some of their draft capital like this beautiful second-round pick that they have from the Redskins, which is going to end up being more like a first-round pick considering how bad Washington is. Yeah. What a great stroke of brilliance there by Ballard. Uh, what do you think of the Mac hand injury and how it impacts them, particularly in the short term because this is a huge game coming up here? I mean, the division winner, especially if the Colts win this game, they're really going to be in the catbird seat for the division. Yeah, that that's bad. You know, Jonathan Williams had that huge game, and, and that's great. I need to see a lot more from him to say they're okay. I mean, I think he's I mean, he's obviously better than I thought he was. He's better than all of us thought he was. Nobody thought he could do what he did. But Mac's special. Jonathan Williams is a nice player. But if he's special, the whole league is missed it because he's been available in waivers and whatnot. We've all missed it, including the Colts, who haven't played him very much for the last couple of years. Mac is special, so that that's a bad loss. And you have a broken hand. I mean, I don't know how you play with it at running back. No. Because you're Kenny Moore played with it, and, and I, it was last year. Um, there's been a couple times. Mike Adam, Darius Butler has played with a club in his hand. Yeah. You can play back there, and, and you might not be terribly reliable on pickoffs, but you can do everything else. Running back, the way everybody's clawing at that ball every time you have it in your hands, I don't know how you can play. So if he's got a broken hand, I don't know how he's not out for, I mean, a month. I don't know. That run on Sunday was incredible. It was one of the better runs I've seen probably since Edger and James. Uh, that the touchdown run where he just he disappeared seemingly in a pile of tacklers like three different times and yet somehow sprung out and then spun out of one to run that in. I mean, he he very quietly, Greg has had a really big impact. I think this year he has become a a elite running back. Like uh, we can debate elite quarterbacks and yada yada, but he's I don't know how many elite running backs there are. I don't know, but whatever that number is, he's in that mix. I mean, he's really really good. Some of his best runs. Now our runs, and he was a guy when he was a rookie that you would say the opposite. He had more negative runs than anybody's rookie. Yeah. I think in the whole league, he was trying to hit home runs every time he touched the ball. I, I think, think he was, was. A and he also didn't seem very tough, and he had no patience at all. Mm-hmm. Now some of his best runs 
are, in, and he's not Barry Sanders because Sanders is one of the best running backs of all time, but Sanders was kind of this way where some of Barry Sanders' best runs were gains of three yards because he should have been tackled for four-yard loss, made five people miss, and got three yards out of it. Mack turns nothing into two yards all the time right. now, and I think that matters moving – I know it matters moving the chains and whatnot. Instead of second and 12, it's second and nine, second and eight. He's he's the closest thing to Le'Veon Bell I've seen outside Le'Veon Bell, and he wasn't this way. I don't know if he just watched Le'Veon and learned from it or what, but he's a guy that gets that ball. And the, you watch him. I, I always take notes in games, and he – he tiptoes and slides left and right and left and right and hasn't gone anywhere yet, but it's like he's playing Frogger and he's letting all the traffic clear, and then he sees an opening and he runs across the street. Yeah, he's been great, and uh, he's really tapped into that potential. I think we saw some flashes. You mentioned early on that it was a little bit of a work in progress, but I think you saw that there was something there. I don't know if we saw that Marlon Mack was going to be a 1,200-yard back, which is what he's on pace for if he gets back healthy, but um, he's certainly put it together so far this year. It's just too bad that he's – consistently been dealing with these nicks and bruises and now a handbrake because um it, it's a difficult thing when you can't stay healthy uh, this injury report greg looks like a total mess i don't know what it is about the colts the colts seem to always be their most injured when they're entering a thursday night game huh. isn't that weird remember the new england game last year where they they barely could dress a team to go to new england and play oh so they they had a big injury report and on game day it turned out to be the same it, it came it turned out to be even more if i remember right darius leonard couldn't go and their inactive list was already full so they dressed Anthony Costanzo as an emergency backup just because they needed another body they had something like 44 guys out of their 53 that that were actually healthy I now remember that yes I remember that Um, what Frank Reich said yesterday was that the injury report list he even kind of said it's sort of misleading we're putting everybody on there that's what you do on Thursday night games um, he didn't come out and say that most of these guys are going to play, don't worry about it, but he kind of gave the impression as it looks looks worse than it is. They've already ruled out a few guys, but it looks worse than it is, and that's where I'm going to choose to fall on this until we see otherwise Thursday. Is Seer going to be all right? This seems to be like a real nagging thing, and they miss him. I know Rocky Yassine and you know, a couple of these other guys have stepped up. How about Marvell Tell on, uh, on Sunday having a pretty nice game, but – uh, you put it best, Greg, a couple of years ago when Pierre Desir was playing, we were like, who the hell is this guy? How do you even spell his last name? Right, how do you pronounce and, it? How yeah, do you pronounce it? Yeah, and, and he comes in and plays really well, and now suddenly we talk about him a couple of years later like he's this big key guy, but it really is true. Well, and he's had some of his best games, and, and DeAndre Hopkins has had some of his worst games when they're matched up against each other. Mm-hmm. So much like T.Y. Hilton, I mean, I guess it's quietly, I don't know, It's I think people know this, but much like T.Y. just, what, for whatever reason, destroys Houston – Pierre Desir, for whatever reason, is uh, DeAndre Hopkins' uh, kryptonite. So that's another reason for him to play this game. And I I, I don't know, but I think he's going to play. He was on the field or whatever they did yesterday. They, the Colts listed him as uh, as limited participation. Tells me that – because he's been out, 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 out. Now yeah. all of a sudden he's – so I bet we'll see him. Paris Campbell is limited, as in we might see him now. So they they might be healthier than we really think coming into Thursday night, but I – if I had to bet, Desir's going to play. Again, makes this game so critically important because hypothetically, if the Colts were to win, they'd really be two up with five to play because they'd have the head-to-head tiebreaker, and Houston the next week's got to play New England. So the Colts could really put themselves in a good – and they're getting healthier, so they could really put themselves in a good place for this stretch run. Um, is it weird to now kind of move over into thinking this is a defensive-oriented team? Like, can we say that now, that the, the defense is what's – is the straw that stirs the drink for these Colts? Yeah, and the offensive line, but yeah, mm-hmm. and the defense. but And that probably or could be a, a subtle reason for why people don't want to be all behind Jacoby yet is 
I mean, this this marketplace, this franchise, the fans have been spoiled. Look what they've had. Yeah, for sure. At, at offense, and not just offense, but at quarterback. Look what they've had for the last 20 years or so. So this this is completely different. You can do both. I mean, look at the Baltimore Ravens. Their defense is nasty, and then they've got you know the the, the flavor of the month, and he's not just a flash in the pan, Lamar Jackson. He's not going anywhere. So you can do both. You can do both. But right now, yeah, the defense – their best player, the best player on the team, is their linebacker. Darius Leonard is is absolutely their best player on the team. Second best player is Quentin Nelson. I would argue that yeah, T.Y. Hilton's third. Somewhere in the top five is Kenny Moore. You know, I don't know how that's yeah. even possible, but he's that good. So anyway, they're they're some of their best players are on the defensive end, but they're very deep. You, you they keep getting guys hurt, and they just plug somebody in, and they do just fine. So Ballard's done a really good job of making a roster. Look at Tyquan Lewis. I think he could start for some teams. Yeah, he can't get active here. Yeah, you're right about that. And and look at, you know, you don't have Kamoko Ture. Um, you're just starting to scratch the surface on the potential for Banigou and Okariki. And Kari Willis has been outstanding. I mean, this rookie class has all played kind of like last year's rookie class. Remember, Greg, they all have played meaningful roles at some point during the season. And we've seen a little bit of that. Now, injuries have, have forced their hand. I don't know if they were ready to throw Tell in there or even Yasin in there, but they've, you know, had to do it. And I think for the most part, those guys outside of the Pittsburgh game for Yasin, they performed okay, or was it the Denver game? Which game was he in over his head? I think it was the Denver game because I think it was at home. It was Denver. It was uh, yeah. Copeland. Uh, I forget the name of the guy, but yeah, it was. It was oh, all those holding penalties. Yeah, that that was at home. Yeah, that was bad. But yeah, that, Ballard is. Uh, you know, we, we, this just goes without saying, but he's just so damn. Good. And his scouting staff—they're all—they're so damn good at their job. It's so much better when you have a team, a franchise where players number thirty-five to fifty-five are as good as the Colts have because you're going to need players 35 through 55. It's it's not just about your top-line talent. You better mm-hmm. be, because especially this late in the year when guys are dropping off and getting hurt, you better plug in somebody good and not just somebody. And they've got somebody good everywhere. Yeah, the depth's a lot better than when you're forced to play. You know, there's an injury, so Antonio Morrison has to play or – Right, with your four, running <laughs> somebody, four nine forty, yeah, yeah, somebody like that. Uh, do they have to win this game to win the division? If they lose, is the division out? No, not at all. Um, but I do. It's it's interesting that uh, Houston has to win. It's must win for them. Yeah, I really think so too. They, at, they, at home, at well, they can't they can't lose the tiebreaker to the Colts. As you said, they'll be essentially two games down with five to play and a brutal schedule. So, which I'm not sure if when when your biggest rival has a must win game and it's against you. Does that mean it's must win for you too? Uh, probably, just because that means you can step on their neck. But but it's a step on their neck game. It, it's it's a it's a gravy game for sure. If they win this game, holy cow, does that great? But do they? If Houston loses, I think they're almost out. Almost. If the Colts lose, they almost out. No, it's just going to be a lot tougher. And the wild card is kind of a messy situation, and there's a bunch of weird tiebreakers. Like the Raiders beat the Colts, but. The Texans beat the Raiders, and then uh, Pittsburgh is somewhere in there, and then I guess Tennessee is still kind of sort of hanging around at 5-5, five and five, but I don't want to talk wild. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. And Nat's right down the hall, so he can break down all of <laughs> the tiebreakers and the percentage odds and all of that stuff. That's basically his main role, I think, here at the Stars, playoff odds. Yeah, if you're a, if you're a, <laughs> if you're not following Nat Newell, who's my assistant sports editor, if you're not following – if you're a numbers guy at all, if you like stats, if you like quirky numbers, if you like research, I mean, he is – he is a sports rain man. I mean, he mm-hmm. just looks up weird stuff and thinks weird things and finds weird stats. And I mean, half, half the really good stats you might read about in the Star, they're written by me or our Colts guys or our NBA guys. Nat finds him. He'll email him. Hey, by the way, that was the best game someone's had in 37 years. I mean, just he just finds weird stuff. Yeah, no, he's really, really good. He, if you're a nerd like I am, 
you like following that because it's a lot of pro football reference and pro basketball reference stuff. How about Game Finder and all of that. If you're a nerd like you, do you like what's going on with Jeopardy? Uh, I love the Tournament of Champions deal here and, and that they're bringing back the all-time greats. Um, I think Jeopardy James is going to win the whole thing. But um, I only, was, Why do I only know what, I mean, Ken Jenkins? Ken Jennings, Ken Jennings right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Ken Jennings. I recognize his name. I know it. I, I, am I confusing him with the guy that does baseball documentaries? Who's the guy that does baseball docs? Who's that baseball doc guy? Baseball documentaries, Ken, guys? You don't know? No, I'm not sure. Because Ken Jennings just like, do I know that name for some reason? Is he was he that good? Is he has he? Uh, a- yeah, he had the longest show winning streak. So James had the uh, had a huge win total, like two point four million or something. Ken Jennings had something like an eighty show streak, and it was I don't know ten years ago, maybe maybe longer than that. Ten, twelve. Ken Burns. Oh, the Vietnam documentary guy. Well, yeah, he had a, he had and, a baseball and war doc. documentary. He had baseball docs. Well, Ken Jennings is the guy that I, I don't want to see him lose because it's almost like Michael Jordan come back to the Wizards. Don't come back and average twenty. Yeah, I want Ken Jennings to not come back and lose somebody else because I've I built him up to be larger than life. <laughs> I built him up to be a great documentarian for crying out loud. This is weird that you brought that up because Ken Burns also did a, a really great Civil War documentary that was like ten parts and a Vietnam one that I think was six or seven parts. And besides sports, if I didn't get into sports, I am fascinated by war history, particularly American war history. And you should really watch, if you have any interest at all in Vietnam or war, you should watch those Ken Burns documentaries because they're really, really good. Okay, my dad was in Vietnam and he talks about it from time to time, so I'll run that by him. Oh, really? What I liked about it, my father-in-law was in Vietnam and does not talk about it, so it was actually kind of uh-huh. good to see it because, yeah. you know, it's sad that that's the case that some people feel like they have to hold all that in anyway getting back to um the other things we've, we've kind of covered everything with the Colts a little bit out of left field but I'm sure you saw this Bob Knight reappears at the Bluebird which used to do 15 cent beer on Wednesdays when I was down in Bloomington now it's inflation 25 cent beers on Wednesday nights but uh, Bob Knight was there for a player event and there seems to be this strong inkling that maybe He's nearing an an assembly hall return. Um, a, do you think that's going to happen, Greg? And B, do you think a lot of people care anymore? Well, I think it's a deal where nobody cares until it happens. Yeah, nobody wants to say they care until it happens, and they're going to see him on the court, and they're going to see fifteen thousand people stand up and cheer for about fourteen minutes, and people are going to start crying. Even if they're not there, they're going to read about it and, and cry. And I'm not everybody. I'm sure a lot of people tuned him out, and they're never coming back. But I think it's easy to say I don't care anymore. When you think he's shunned you this whole time, but people forgive. They forgive people they love, and people for too many years love Bob Knight to not forgive him when he turns around and comes back. And it seems like he's coming back. I mean, he moved here, A, and B, he's shown up on campus and been been seen on campus in the golf cart with Fred Glass, the AD. And then that night at Bluebird, someone said, "When you come into when you come into Assembly Hall," and he blurted out, "What? How about tomorrow night?" I mean, yeah. and he's not. I mean, clearly he's not at complete health, whatever mm-hmm. that means. So who really knows? But uh, a year ago, all this, all this, where we are right now with Bob Knight, a year ago, I wouldn't have bet 10 cents we'd be here. Not yeah. 10 cents. I had given up on him ever coming back, and I was cool with it. If Bob Knight comes back, great. If he doesn't come back, great. I think a, mo- I agree with you, Greg. I think a majority of IU people, and I consider myself still somewhat of a fan. I mean, I went there, I uh, grew up watching IU basketball during the Bob Knight era, all of that stuff. That's That's something that still remains a part of you, I guess. Um, but it would be nice to have that closure. Um, I've always been jealous of 
the fact that Gene Cady loves Purdue so much and they put him up on the big screen at Mackey and he gives a wave and everybody goes crazy. It would be nice for Indiana fans to have that one moment where they can do that. Yeah. And if you hate Bob Knight, then fine. But uh, there are some fans that still hold him in high regard. They love Cady so much at Purdue that they've got this pregame montage where they, they quote various people, Rick Mount, speaking of guys that have forgiven and moved on and come back. They quote Rick Mount and Caleb Swanigan and all these blasts from the past saying, you know, we've won 12 championships and this many All-Americans and this mm-hmm. many, you know, you've, if you've been there, you've seen it. Yeah, yeah. I feel bad for whoever has to be behind talks on the montage after Gene Cady. Last year it was Rick Mount. This year I think it's Biggie Swanigan. And because whoever talks after Gene Cady, you can't hear what he says. Because Cady's appearance gets in the, drowned out. Gets, it just everybody <laughs> cheers about five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> and then you can't hear the next guy. So, and Knight, of course, is that big at Indiana, and I mean, arguably, you could say bigger, I'm not sure, but but he's certainly done more, but Knight, I know that he's back in town, he came, he moved back here essentially for, his doctors are here, mm-hmm. doctors he loves are here, that's that's the big reason he's back here, but while he's here, it's easy to be in Lubbock and have a hard heart towards IU, but once you're back in town and you see all these people, and I'm sure people tell him they love him at the doctor's office and wherever, you know, grocery store, wherever he goes, it, it, it just, it's human nature to want to, yeah. even for Bob Knight, who's not seemed very human at times when it comes to this, it's human nature to want to be embraced again, and he's feeling it. And he's, you know, in the last 20 years, out of sight, out of mind, he's faded from national relevance. Bloomington is one of the few places where he still really resonates, and I think that he realizes that, even in somewhat of a, a questionable health state and mental state. I do think that people who love him, teammates, whoever... um need to stop don't he needs to stop speaking in public he just need i mean i i don't say that out of meanness at all i say that out of compassion for the guy you know he spoke at i think it was center grove about a year ago and and it was rough it was rough yeah it was rough and then yet he spoke the other day and if you watch the video you can see it, it's rough you can just see it but then he made a he made a, a joke that i mean he's from a different era you can you know he made a, a joke about well, he made a slur, sort of, sort of, kind of a slur. Not really a slur, but you know, he asked, "Are these guys homosexual?" You know, because they were dressed funny. He didn't use the word homosexual. He didn't use the f word. Anyway, um, just huh? The podcast guys that put it together that had the suits on—is that didn't see that? No. Can, can I say the word that starts with G? Can I say it? Uh, well, you could say th- th- he called them gay, right? Well, I think is that what, what he, he said. He kind of looked around the crowd and said, "Are these guys gay?" Okay. Or or, yeah. or maybe said, I mean, "Are you gay?" That in itself is not a slur. Not a just slur. A word, but not a slur, but yeah. you're using it as an insult. It's it's something that I would never say. Right. It's, certainly people don't say in 2019. Right. You today, don't make that joke. You can't do that, yeah. right? Whether we you could I don't really even want to argue whether you should or not. You, sure. you can't. Yeah. And the world knows you can't. So my my point is not that he how dare he say that. That's not my point. My point is he doesn't know any better. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, and I mean, basically, he's he's spoken publicly twice now in the last year, and both times there was a, oh, I wish that hadn't happened. Mm. So no more. You know, it's let him come out and wave and be the king of England or the queen of whatever. You know, yeah. acknowledge the crowd, but don't don't put a microphone in his hands. It's not fair to him. Yeah, just do do the wave thing, get it over with, and then we can all the people that haven't moved on can move on can move on, and we can really kind of wrap this whole thing up yes. bit with a pretty bow because you know. I don't know how much longer he has, really. I mean, he's, he's getting up there for sure. Sure. Uh, just kind of a parting thought, and I actually had to go kind of a roundabout way to avoid this today because I knew Greg actually sent me a text. Hey, if you're coming down to the Star headquarters, don't forget the teacher deal is going on at the Statehouse, and I usually just shoot down Capitol right past the Statehouse 
coming from over in Butler. So I'm glad that you gave me that heads up. But um, just wanted to give a parting thought on teachers. You wrote a beautiful column about a teacher who impacted your life a couple of months ago, which you shared again on your Twitter feed this morning at Greg Doyle star. Um, but I'm the son of a, my mom was a kindergarten, first grade teacher for 40 plus years. Both of my sisters teach uh, my brother-in-law, t- two brother-in-laws teach. Um, and then my, my wife's brother's wife also teaches. So I'm surrounded by teachers in my immediate family, and I fully support what they're doing down there in Red for Red. I know that I'm not wearing red right now. You can't see me. But um, just wanted to give them kind of an acknowledgement and a shout because they should be fighting for better because teachers deserve more. They, they are wonderful, selfless people, the huge, large majority of them. Yeah, they're exactly that. And they're, they're heroes. They are heroes yeah. among, and they're heroes taking care of our kids. We trust our kids with them, and we trust our kids' development with them seven hours a day, nine months out of the year, and we're quibbling over uh, how much money they should be getting paid, and they, they get some people say, oh, they get paid enough, and, they, and whatever. They're the best among us, and they they clearly don't think they're getting enough, and clearly the, the ranks of teachers are dwindling, and I will tell you that I tried to be a sub-teacher 20 years ago. Did you really? <laughs> oh, boy. For extra income, right? <laughs> yeah. A, a low-paid sports writer in, sure. in the Miami Herald mm-hmm. in high schools, and I, I sub-taught. I you know, got registered and qualified, whatever. I sub-taught two or three times and couldn't do it. I mean, I couldn't yeah. do it. I just could not do it. And these people do it day in and day out for 20 years, and I'm in awe of teachers. I'm in awe of teachers. So whatever they get, please get it and, and then some. And if you have to up my taxes, okay. And my kids are out of school, and they're not in school in this state anyway, and I don't care. If, if I got up my taxes, I'll pay it. You're brave for trying. Uh, was it high school kids, junior high, it was, elementary? It was junior high. Yeah, junior high is actually, I think, the biggest challenge because that's when kids start to realize, hey, I don't have to listen to everything that you say. It was tough. It was, <laughs> it was real tough. Uh, but, but shout out to teachers, and, and we fully support them. And by the way, my story this, that he mentioned is my most recent tweet, and it's it's people. It's no subscription needed. It's a it's what we call a free read. So if you want to read about a woman that changed my life when I was in ninth grade, and it's a story I tell the every time I speak to kids, high school, college, whatever, mm-hmm. I tell them about Mrs. Connor. And this is my I went looking for Mrs. Connor to thank her myself. We all have one. Uh, Mrs. Moore was mine in third grade. My second grade teacher didn't want me to write about sports at all, and I'd always write stuff about how I want to be I want to be Marv Albert. I want to be the play-by-play guy for the Knicks. And she'd be like, don't don't even do that. It's stupid. Write about something else. And my third grade teacher, uh, Miss Moore, really encouraged me to embrace Aww. the sportshood. I think everyone has that story, though, don't you? That that they have that one teacher that they really remember that, yes. that changed things for them. Uh, also, other great columns on Kenny Moore and, oh, my God, how about Charlie Spiegel? Like, look, I'm, n- I'm not a college recruiter or anything, but if a dude's going to look like LeBron James against Cathedral, right. and that's a really good Cathedral team, and he dunked all over them. Yeah, no one should. Football-wise. <laughs> right. He hasn't run into a team yet, and they played the best of the best. He hasn't run into a team yet where, oh, I see why colleges don't want you because against that team you can't. No, he does it against everybody. Yeah. And one one thing college coaches are telling me – I'm sorry, not college. High school coaches are telling me that about Spiegel is he, he – he bursts the last scrimmage, and no, maybe his breakaway speed at 50 yards is not T.Y. Hilton-esque, okay? But his speed from 5 yards to 15, which is for running back, clearly the most important, is top-notch. He goes from 5 to 15, boom, and he hits it at 230 pounds. So anyway, I love Charlie Spiegel, and he's the most humble guy. I, I was as much blown away by what he did after great runs as to what he did during the great runs, and it was every single time. Check it out, IndyStar.com slash sports, also through the IndyStar app. And Doyle and Derek returns for next week's episode, Thanksgiving week edition, next Tuesday. Have a great week, Greg. You too, Derek.